Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Ellidge, and this is Skylines, the Cinemetric podcast. This is this is a bit of a first, actually. Like we've done, you know, we often talk about cities that aren't London on this show. We we often talk down the line to people in cities that aren't London, but this is the first time we've recorded a whole one somewhere a very long way from the capital. We are. I'm currently uh, in Liverpool. I am by the docks in this very fine studio, which is much nicer than ours, where they record the Anfield Rap Liverpool FC fan podcast. With two hosts of said podcast, Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons. Hi, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. And also with the uh, writer and PR, Laura Brown. Hello. And we are going to talk about Liverpool. So, first question, what makes you people so bloody special? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, more more seriously, I think there's... When we were talking about this, we were talking about doing it on sort of Scouse exceptionalism was kind of the phrase we came up with. And I think it's true that Liverpool does have a very strong civic identity. And I'm kind of wondering why. Where does that come from? Why? I think Liverpool probably has a stronger civic identity than most cities, even in the north of England. So what, what, what is it about Liverpool that's kind of given that to the world, do you think? There's a, there's a real self-confidence in Liverpool that's different from a lot of other places and... I've worked in a lot of different cities and Liverpool has this sense that it doesn't really care what you think about it when you're from the inside. Um, if you write a negative headline, you'll know about it incredibly quickly. Oh, yeah, I've had um, that. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a self-confidence about the place in that it... Um, I think that it just... People just think things from Liverpool mean that it's going to be better. They kind of get it. They sort of understand what the city's trying to say about itself. And they know, they probably couldn't tell you what it is, but they can definitely tell you what it isn't, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I think there's two two things in what Laura said there that are dead interesting. The first thing is is that can't always tell you what it is, but can tell you what it isn't. If there's a bit of a weakness around a lot of this stuff, a lot of it's defined against. And I think that that's, so therefore, that's the, the being able to tell you what it isn't at times. You know, a lot of the sort of the... Like the, the, the vibe of Scouse Not English is very much about sort of the not part is important. It does a lot of work in that sentiment. And the second thing as well is, you know, Liverpool is really self-confident. <clears throat> but as I often will say to anyone who, who grabs me, it's also a bit needy. If we're all honest about it, <laughs> like we need you to tell us we're great and we want you to tell us we're great. So I'm, I'm literally on like on every level, on a, the most basic personal level, when you were walking around yesterday, John, on Twitter and photographing Liverpool, I was like, yeah, it is right, John. 
I was made up. I was made up with you photographing Liverpool and saying, I've just come here, this bit's boss, this bit's boss. And then I thought, that's really strange, John. I don't know how many followers tw- John's got on Twitter or anything like that, but I was like, yeah, I feel like John's yeah. sticking it to someone here and I'm quite pleased. And I don't know who, and he probably isn't. But yeah, good. Well, well in us, well in, the, well, well, well in Liverpool. No, I mean, I, yeah. I wasn't like, I wasn't sticking it to anyone. I do genuinely sort of like think that it's something I'm keen to do in, in this job, both in the podcast and on City Metric itself, is kind of talk up bits of the country that, you know, I don't know very well and I think often don't get discussed very much. And the thing about Liverpool is it's bloody gorgeous. Yeah. Like, it's got, like, there's some amazing architecture up here. And it just feels like you don't quite have enough people to to fill it anymore, is is the main thing I kind of felt walking around. It's like, you can just kind of feel the depopulation that kind of happened in the middle of the last century. There's bits of town where there just aren't enough people. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I think you know how how we kind of you know reverse that. I, 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 I'm not quite sure. It's Liverpool hasn't really kind of hasn't really had the, the kind of new wave of immigration that, that a lot of other places have, and that, and that makes it quite interesting as well. In that Liverpool has a very old Chinese community, and obviously has a, a very old ter- community sort of Black Caribbean. But in terms of more, more recent kind of immigration, Liverpool didn't get as much as kind of other cities, and so it's actually a very white city. And although we we feel like we say we we believe we're a tolerant city, and we believe we're, we're you know, we stand up against racism and stuff like that. In, in actual fact, when you walk around, the city centre, especially, yeah. is incredibly white compared yeah. with other places in the city. Where I live is quite Middle Eastern, and it's I, I like that because I'm half Middle Eastern. So you know, it's something that you used to. But you do have pockets in Liverpool where different communities do live. And I think you know, it's the Irish thing as well. You know, Liverpool, there's this stat that goes round that says 75% of people in the city have got Liverpool Irish heritage, which is cr- a crazily high sense but maybe that's a bit about the exceptionalism as well because Mm. people from here don't there's the old adage about Liverpool that Liverpool doesn't look down to London Liverpool's out looks out to sea and there's that sense of it turns its back but having that heritage within the city that people aren't all from here they all trace their roots to somewhere else is quite important and that's also part of this so again, to go back to this idea of defining yourself against, I think you know you can go back and find pretty atrocious editorials written about Liverpool f- from London and other places in the nineteen twenties and, and even earlier. Given as the part 20s. of this, this heritage, yeah, <laughs> yeah. bloody but, hell, because because the part of this heritage, Liverpool had an Irish nationalist MP. I think in the nineteen twenties, and as part of so the, the 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 whole Liverpool being at odds or at war with the rest of the country thing is not something from the eighties. It goes back, it goes back further mm. and further, and it's it's part of this. You know, it's 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 been an ongoing sort of aspect of both Liverpoolian culture but also how Liverpool Liverpoolian culture is seen from the outside is is this this sort of thing and that's why you know to go back to the the, the, the defining against thing it's one of the reasons why you do often end up defining against is because you feel there's a sense of attack and I think that that's in there as well and I think that that again is you know if you were to take all the cities in England whether rightly or wrongly and that's almost a separate conversation but Liverpool has felt like it's been under attack more from any, every, anywhere else in England uh, throughout, you know, if you go, and as I say, you can chart this, I think, for over 100 years that this is the case. So this is not a, a flash in a pan thing. It never is. It never, it, it's always there, present somewhere and has been in this sort of collective psyche. And I th- so I think that that is, that is one of the live sort of parts of this, to be honest with you. Yeah, I find it interesting that you say this, this story has been happening since at least the 1920s, because I kind of wondered if it was kind of a bit, it was around the, 
the sort of narrative of, of you know late 20th century decline or you know the relationship with the Thatcher government and all that stuff but maybe it kind of goes further back into so so like historically Liverpool obviously is basically here because there are eight miles of docks right mm. it was like there are a million people here because you needed people to sort of load and unload ships and the reason the city declined a bit is because you no longer need people to decline like you've got containerization you can do a yeah. lot of it electronically but also, so, but also, I kind of think, feel like that that heritage maybe sort of feeds into the story in a different way. So, like as you were hinting, it's like it, it was kind of a very Irish city, wasn't it? It's, I've heard Liverpool described as the capital of North Wales. <laughs> <laughs> there's sort of weirdly, I think, a relationship with New York because of the ferries. Yeah, it's so, a huge New York. I mean, I think it's it basically. So last year, I launched a, a friend of mine wrote a book um, about the Liverpool Irish history. So. It depends how much in detail you want me to go in this, to be honest with you, because I know... I mean, there's a lot of nerds listening to this, so knock yourself out, to be honest. Hi, guys. Love you. (laughs) I think it's when the the Irish famine happens, a lot of people come to Liverpool because they're going to go on to America. And a lot of the people who can't go to America end up staying in Liverpool. And the city's population swells by over a million um, and it creates huge issues. One of the reasons why social enterprise and public policy is rooted, and like welfare, is rooted a lot of its history in Liverpool, is because when Irish immigrants come over fleeing the famine, there are huge social issues within the city, and the city rubs, pulls off its leaves and goes, we need to sort this. So that's when you get all the Kitty Wilkins and stuff. That's when you get all of that kind of, a lot of the, the women of the philanthropists and of mm. the, the city fathers, their wives kind of going, we need to figure this out we need to sort this out um so that's when the population of the city really expands but you sort of have this sense beforehand i was talking to an artistic director about this last week actually because he thinks liverpool's kind of anti-establishment thing actually comes from the fact that chester is the first city of the northwest so that's the place where like the romans set up that's where the guilds are that's where all the power is and liverpool is the place where you come to make a fast book (laughs) <laughs> so it has this tradition in literature in the sort of mid-19th century is like Liverpool is the place you come for a lost weekend. So Heathcliff is found in Liverpool and there's a reason why they choose Liverpool rather than another place, that Liverpool's a bit of a lost place. It's where, you know, if, you, if you're genteel and part of the establishment, you don't go to Liverpool. You know, that's the place where you're going to end up with a load of prostitutes and you're going to end up in this hotel and no one's going to find you for a week. It's a bit racy in but- its... I mean, I, I have to say, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen Heathcliff portrayed as Scouse. This is <laughs> I will, will claim anyone, yeah. John. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but there's kind of another side to this, which is like, so something else I kind of was was I, very struck by on my walk yesterday is going through the Georgian Quarter, yeah. which is exactly what it sounds like. It's just these amazing sort of Georgian terraces and squares and so on, and it sort of brought to mind. This idea that I don't think I've kind of made up, but like Liverpool was also at the height of the 19th century, a very rich city. Yeah. Right? There are there are an enormous yeah. number of millionaires here, and you know some of them probably made their money off you know the slave trade, which isn't great, but nonetheless there was there was money here. That's part of the story we don't tend to think about anymore, right? It, it seems to clash with the the sort of idea of like Liverpool as this kind of like den of iniquity. Yeah, I mean, it's real dot-com boom stuff, isn't it? I think. I don't know why I'm looking at Neil, so he, maybe he remembers it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you remember those days when all the merchants were on the horses, Neil? But I think um, it is, a, is, I mean, what we've highlighted already a lot is, is the, the idea of Liverpool being a city of contradictions, and I think that is massive, and I think that's why it, it, it often is a place that's difficult to pinpoint, even if kind of you've lived here a, a lot of your life, like, like all of us have. And I think, you know, 
if you if you look at the kind of the voting history of of, of Liverpool, I mean Neil points out the, the kind of Irish Republic, you know, MP, but also a lot of seats were Conservative right up until Thatcher, uh, and, then, and then that was kind of the, the sea change. Where, where so this idea of Liverpool always being a socialist city um, yeah. isn't isn't true at all. Um, it's often be a, been a Conservative with a small C city, and 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 indeed the capital C, and and there's also you know a, a, along with all the the kind of Irish history and stuff, there was a there's a loyalist part of the city as well, and the, you know you, you'll still you'll still see, you know, marching marching certain days of the year and things like that as well. So it is it is a kind of a, a, a strange kind of contradiction of a city really, and that comes back a lot to what Neil said at the start, which is that in one ways we're cocky and self confident, and then in other ways you know we're not we're not confident enough to let certain kind of things go. Okay, so here's a question, which if I was kind of a normal adult male, I would know the answer to already. But like you guys obviously do the the Anfield Rap, which is the Liverpool FC Mm -hmm. podcast, right? Is the sort of Liverpool-Everton split, is that a sectarian one? No. Initially a little bit, but... It, it's just never really taken. It's never really gone right the way through. So it it just doesn't. It's not like the Glasgow thing. No, 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 you can't sustain it or carry it for any. There's, I mean, you know, you can really you, you could write a you know you could write a solid dissertation on it. But you could, you know, in terms of there actually being anything to discuss or get stuck into at this stage, there's there's, there's, there's nothing there's, there's nothing nailed on. Yeah, there, there are there are actually there's a really good essay on um, the why Liverpool doesn't have sectarian violence associated with its football. It's a really interesting topic that it just doesn't. You know, it's. I mean, I kind of grew up thinking. Everyone on TV was Scouse and Catholic, and then sort of realised that the whole country wasn't was a massive shock to me in the nineties, to be honest with you. And I think that you know you do have a strong Catholicism here, but it doesn't ever drip into animosity. I don't think. I, I wonder if it's if there's this, if this is somehow to do with the very strong civic identity, in that like. I mean, like, you, you, you guys were talking earlier about how, like, Liverpool is quite a white city, but it feels quite comfortable with, with um, multiculturalism and the fact that, like, there's been a Chinatown for like, yeah. more than a century and so on. So I wonder if it's because there's a very strong Scouse identity that people can kind of buy into that kind of overrides those other identities at all. I mean, I think, I think look, it, the idea of it feels comfortable with, with multiculturalism, I would say that it's, it's, it's easier to feel like that if, if you know, you haven't had... had you know, a lot of it recently, and I think other places would say, "Well, well yeah, but Liverpool haven't had influxes of people, or whatever you would call it, positive and negative, to, to in, into an area." I think Liverpool's Chinese community is very whole. So, if you if you if you see a Chinese person in in Liverpool, it's very likely they'll talk with a Scouse accent, and 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 the same from kind of other places as well. And so, but I think maybe. There is a feeling in Liverpool that if you if you decide you're one of us, you are accepted, and I think that does exist as well. And I think that's important in that you know if if, if you come here and, and and you adopt the city as yours, it kind of it, it will look after you. And although that sounds kind of cliched and kind of a little bit cheesy, it's sort of true as well. It's back to the needy thing. <clears throat> so if you come and say we're boss, we'll go. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> and if you so if you if you choose to to live your life here and do it in you know in a way that embraces the city of Liverpool. Then the city of Liverpool people will will embrace you back. John said for years, and he's right. You know, lo- it's one of my favourite lines. Loads of the best scousers aren't from Liverpool, and we know people both on the sort of on the most basic level of people who throw themselves into Liverpool's cultural life. Um, you know, recently John actually said it to me after the aftermath of um, someone who we only wor- really worked with. John knew him better than I did, but we worked with, but we worked closely with, and he sadly passed away really young. A lad called John Hall, who did the used to uh, run a record label, did the sound at Leaf, uh, uh, for a load of different places in the city, and did sound for us and made things just really was part of the city 
and John was originally from Wales and he came in from Wales and he was just but everyone and you know his funeral was a really sad affair but really uplifting because simultaneously it was the celebration of this life this Liverpudlian life lived by someone who's coming from the outside and it's really stayed with me I actually talk about it on about Welsh show a week to be honest it's really weird but that I think is you know that's an example of that's what Liverpool, you know, is and wants and feels as though. And when Liverpool's doors are open, that's what it's open to. To someone who comes in and and becomes part of of what we do and 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 loves all of that. And I think that is perhaps ever so slightly sort of influenced by the football. I think you know the idea of Liverpool's all Liverpool's best teams have got Scots in them, not just but also that's an Everton thing as well. The idea that you know with the thing if if, if football is so crucial at the centre of cultural life or something, but it's made up and it's it's done by people who are not from Liverpool predominantly then that becomes sort of something which everyone can sort of see that benefit in. And I think, but yeah, I think Liverpool is, and that is part of it. And, and everyone gets sort of assimilated, but as they get assimilated, it changes. A friend of ours used to run, well, still does run bars, but, you know, basically created the, the bar culture of Liverpool's Albert Dock. And he's originally from Liverpool and he brings booth culture to Liverpool. You can decide whether or not you think booth culture is a good idea or a bad <laughs> idea, but he brings it in, but he's part of, and then that's part of that, and now Liverpool is still a place where you can have a lost weekend. It's emphatically a place where you can have a lost weekend, and that's a massive part of now what it is. Yeah, and I think there's a sense, when you're a city that's at the end of the line, that's quite important, because you don't accidentally come to Liverpool. Yeah. It's the end of the train line. You're not, you're it's it's the last through, stop. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't get that kind of transience either. You know, I think we're only behind Sheffield in one of the cities where when people come to university, they stay. Mm. That's really important. Like the gang who run the Casimir that was the, the big, you know, they yeah. sort of took over the space. Now they've got Invisible Wind Factory, huge cultural force in the city. They were a group that came here as students loved it and stayed. It's the same as the people who run Independent Liverpool, which is, you know, quite ironic, really. This this Independent Liverpool kind of brand, if you like, that is all about promoting well, what it sounds like, independent restaurants, bars, cafes in Liverpool are two lads. They're not from, they're not from here. They just moved here from, you know, from another city and, 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 and kind of stayed. And I think that's, that could be quite a nice thing sometimes. And I think that, well, all the time, but also in terms of, I think, when when you are from here, you can you can you can kind of focus on 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 the negatives a little bit too much, I think. And, and then sometimes it needs people from outside to go. What you've just said, all oh, this architecture is amazing, you know. And you're like, yeah. What was the last time I actually looked up? Instead, I'm complaining about the rain, the rain and the wind. <laughs> no, I mean, interesting talking about the the social side of things. Like thinking of nights out I had when I was a student. Two of the be- two of the most memorable, one of the best, one less so that I still remember now, 15 years on, were when I was in Liverpool so one was like I just came to see a friend who was at university here and just getting this real sense of like you know people just talk to you in bars yeah. <laughs> and like obviously you don't get that in London like famously but you don't get that in a lot of places whereas like it was very easy without the aid of any sort of class A drugs to just get chatting to complete strangers in a way I've not really experienced anywhere else people do that everywhere here though it's exhausting it, it happens <laughs> everywhere you'll have chat on the bus at the bus stop buying a buying a can of coke everywhere people just talk to each other all the time i think it is part of people being friendly and then also partly everyone's got an opinion on something <laughs> and also and also a, a joke or whatever also feels like if someone's in if someone's in my head i'm gonna tell mm. someone because it can't just remain in my head and i think that's but, quite but my, my, my sort of not counter example is that because i think it's probably part of the same thing as the other night i really remember out in liverpool was with uh, for the birthday of a friend who grew up here and Perfectly fine night out, nothing amazing. But I remember, like, we were just stood outside some chip shop afterwards after kicking out time. And this, and I just hear the words, you starting? You starting, mate? And I turn around, there's this guy a whole foot shorter than me, just <laughs> squaring up to me. I said, oh, for God's sake. But I genuinely wonder if that's kind of part of the same 
phenomenon almost. It's just like this sense that like people are sort of rubbing along together for good. There's sort of less personal There's, space involved. I, I don't know. I'm, I have a theory, and it's and I think it's still just about holds. It's still just about broadly speaking holds, and I hope it continues to hold. I think one of the reasons, one of the exceptional things about Liverpool, and I do mean this mostly as a positive, is that there's a real sort of equality of night out. That I think that most you can you can have you could have someone who runs. I'm trying to think of a good building that's nearby, uh, a good big business that's nearby. Uh, Waitmans. So there could be someone who's really senior at Waitmans who could have the same night out as a, as, as as a woman who works at the reception at Waitmans, and they would end up going to similar places, and they could literally have the same night out. Now he could afford to have it every night of the week, and she may only be able to afford to have it once a month or once every two weeks or something like that. But there's a real equality of night out. What you don't have is, and I, you really don't have, is the idea that there's. There's places where different types of people go to in Liverpool, but one of those delineations is rarely in the city centre. In the city centre, is rarely rich or poor. Some places are more expensive than others, and that you know it's worth pointing that out. But that doesn't mean necessarily that someone who who was really quite well off might not just choose to drink in a certain sort of place or type of place. And I think that's I think that is that remains a thing. Whereas when I go to London and see people, I think you can really get the flavour of, of there's, there's, there's lines in the sand and markers and it's not quite as pure as as I've just made it sound in Liverpool and I want that to be quite clear that all the way through all of this you know we're not going oh, aren't we all wonderful and all this but it is definitely a thing I, see I think that is completely true and I think that comes from where the delineation in Liverpool is it isn't really a class thing it's a culture thing and it comes from music. So if you're looking for a night out, you're looking for a particular night out, and it's based on what kind of music you're into. So when the big disco crowds used to be into, because disco and soul were like a massive thing in Liverpool, that was the Sunday night. So when you see that older generation that are still going out to, you know, the Carnarvon Castle, still going out to the grapes on a Sunday. And getting really dressed up, by the yeah, way. Yeah, getting like absolutely <laughs> to the nines. That's that night out. And that's where it kind of is still rooted. So when you're into a bit more, you know, your indie music of the 90s, we probably go to those same sort of pubs or the same streets that are along the same thing of where you'd go to in that. So like the Jacaranda down like sort of Slater Street kind of stuff around Rope Walks area, which was where more of the indie bars were. And it's it's kind of rooted in that because Liverpool hasn't got any snobbishness until you start talking about what your music taste is. And then it really starts to, starts to come out, because it's that kind of tribal delineation. I mean, growing up, uh, everything I knew about Liverpool, you know, I'm a middle-class white man, so everything I knew about Liverpool came from, like, being obsessed with the Beatles for a couple of years. I, they, they were good. They, were, they did all right, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, I kind of find it like the Jacaranda's been around for decades, isn't it? Like, the Beatles played the Jacaranda, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that in itself is kind of fascinating. The idea that these places that are still active night spots that were literally there when the Beatles were starting out. It's kind of, that's, you know, 60 years ago nearly. That's crazy. Yeah, but that doesn't feel like that long ago in Liverpool, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it is that kind of city where... And I think there's this as well. Liverpool is a big storytelling place. So... You get a scouser talking about the city and you'll start telling stories about different places and heritage and you'll start telling your stories and you'll start telling your mum's stories and your dad's stories and uncle's stories because it's all rooted in that. So actually, the, the Beatles played the Jacaranda. Well, I was going there in the 90s and they still had pictures of the Beatles all over the wall and it didn't feel that long ago in the 90s. Yeah, it yeah I mean, it's, we're not sort of... I know, don't want people to come here to think we're living in some kind of like time warp where we've all stayed ever, ever, since the 60s. You mean, there's, there's been some great bars kind of come and go and... And some great venues come and go. I mean, no, no more so than Cream, which is obviously the most the most famous dance 
well, dance night. Uh, it was it was technically it wasn't a technically a club, but it was dance night in the world, and and now as a building, um, kind of doesn't doesn't exist anymore. It's flats, um, and so so you know it, the, there are kind of changes and, and shifts and things like that. But I think that the point about about the, the, the storytelling is a good one. Is that when it, when it kind of matters, Liverpool kind of will will rally around somewhere that they feel is kind of important and sh- and kind of should be there. And, and you might say, well, I haven't been for years, but I, but you know, I'm, I think it's important that something like that kind of takes place. And I think. I mean that's quite a nice thing about Liverpool. Although we did knock down the cavern and then build it again next door. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's not the cavern. <laughs> Though it's, yeah. it's mad on a Friday afternoon. Go. Uh, it, it's, it's still it's still more or less the same thing. They just knocked it down and realised that they shouldn't have done it. Then built it and ex- built it pretty much exactly the same next door. But I mean, Beatles tourism is a thing, right? Yeah. Like I was, yeah. Last time I was up here for for Labour conference two years ago. In fact, I was in a hotel above the sort of Beatles museum. And every morning you'd be woken up by, like, you know, just some random compilation of Beatles. You look out the window, there's these two poor sods who are presumably out-of-work actors dressed like the Sergeant Pepper cover. But this is a re- this is one of the reasons why, like, Liverpool, unlike most major English cities, kind of gets tourists, right? It's a place that people will come internationally to visit. Yeah, they will. But, it, I mean, it's but it's funny that Liverpool kind of didn't really take advantage of that for a while or didn't seek to, or, or maybe kind of it's it's become more of a thing, I don't know. So in the 80s, they did knock down the, the cavern, and there was also a kind of a feeling then that, amongst a lot of musicians, certainly, that the Beatles thing was kind of holding Liverpool back. And so that Eric's kind of counterculture where you had bands like kind of Dead or Alive and as opposed to Bunnymen kind of out that as well was all kind of like quite snobby about the Beatles, if you like. And I think the city kind of moved on maybe. And, and the Beatles as well kind of, you know, they, they, were, they were straight to London as soon as they made a few quid. And so maybe there was kind of an element of, what well, did they even feel like our band anymore? They've been embraced a lot more, I would say, recently. And then, uh, you know, it only needs one place to do well and then, and then other places kind of doing it. So, so the idea is, I think Ram Matthew Street can feel like a bit of a Beatles theme park sometimes. But that's only really in the last 10 years that it's been a case of, um, you know, naming every bar after a Beatles arm and having the Hard Day's Night Hotel and things like that. That's kind of <laughs> something that's, that's emerged, I would say, over the last decade or so, Neil. I think, it's, I think it's a bit longer. I think it probably goes back to, I think this is an example of me and you, John, thinking we are six, seven years younger than we actually are, <laughs> which is, you know, where we are these days. I think that's probably because, you know, for instance, when I was 18, I was drinking in Lennon's Bar. Yeah. So I remember that, and that's 20 years ago. And I think Liverpool really embraces the Beatles around then and, and the, the tourism of it. And I think that the, a lot of Liverpool's tourism does come from Beatles tourism for a while, and that is the predominant sort of motivating factor. I think it's different now. I think Liverpool's tourism now is back to Lost Weekend, it's back to Stags and Hens, loads and loads of Stags and Hens. I used to live on Duke Street, uh, which I would I once counted what I'm quite sure is 22 separate hen parties in one weekend. Just seeing 22 separate hen parties in one weekend. I mean, oh my God, you must have been knackered. My science, <laughs> my science wasn't necessarily... Well, well, wasn't necessarily phenomenal, but I'm thinking. I think I was right. I used to. It used to be something I just do in my own head of a weekend. And the other thing is the football as well. People come for the football, so I think that it's now separated. But there was a period, you know, if you go back to I think from about you know, 99 to about 05, where I think, you know, the Matthew Street Festival was absolutely huge. It was a, it became a week-long thing that dragged people in. And that was a massive, massive part of, of part of what got Liverpool back into tourism. I think post-08, it may be a bit different. I think it is a bit different post-08. You mean, is, is that because of the crash or the capital culture thing? Or uh, both? The capital culture thing. Yeah. I think the capital culture thing, even though it didn't do a lot of long-term, what it was said it would do on the tin for Liverpool from the point of view of sort of setting us up as this wonderful bastion of brilliant culture subsequently um, 
and that's completely to do with people who are who, who who are authorities rather than anything to do with people on the ground who still do brilliant work and make brilliant work happen in Liverpool. They sort of manage to do so despite what they're up against at times. It feels that way. But I think what O eight did was it just sort of made everyone have to talk about Liverpool. And again, in that way of the self confidence and the neediness we want in the way in which like Hull has just not embraced it in a national sense they've not worked out how to embrace it they've not been able to embrace it or they've just not embraced it properly and they've not sort of said to the rest of the country come and join our big party whereas Liverpool did do that and I think that a number of different factors came in and held sway post 08 not least the fact that some people thought there's people who own hotel, hotel groups went there's ways to make loads of money out of this you know people will come to Liverpool and from there that momentum sort of pounded and pounded and pounded and we get to where we are now which is where tourism is absolutely massive the I'm, time economy is huge I'm going to push back slightly on the whole thing because I wonder if this is actually just a function of scale like we had um, the the journalist Jasmine Anderson, who's from Hull, on here a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about how brilliant it had been for the city. So I wonder if that message hasn't got through. It's just because like Liverpool is quite a lot bigger and there's a lot more scales right. in, in kind of influential positions down well, in London. Could be absolutely right. The difference, there's a couple of things that happen culture-wise that, that change massively. Liverpool benefits hugely from an absolute peak in people writing about culture. So there are way more culture writers 10 years ago than there are now. So Hull doesn't benefit as much from that because there aren't physically as many column inches in national newspapers devoted to culture that there were a decade ago. Yeah, so it just got also, fragmented across multiple venues. And yeah. So on. yeah. Whereas I think, I think curatorially what Hull has done artistically is probably more interesting than Liverpool did artistically. Hull has done some really incredible things and has created more of a cultural infrastructure. Liverpool already had a cultural infrastructure. What it didn't have was a tourism infrastructure. So the reason when you have that kind of the £8 for everyone invested in Liverpool, what Liverpool did with 2008 was said, we've already got this great culture here. What you need to do is come and see it and we need places for people to stay. So the reason you get the huge return is you get the absolute explosion in hotel numbers and explosion in like hotel beds and occupancy. That's what really, really shifts it in that year. And it's why it made so much money for the city. I go to quite a lot of cities as part of my job. And like some of them, you do go, oh, God, this place is stuffed. (laughs) (laughs) To be blunt about it, I, I, I would never tweet that or anything. But you do go to places and think, yeah, I can see why this place is in trouble. Whereas like Liverpool, I always think there's just like so much... There are so many selling points here. It's an amazing city to wander around. It's got so many sort of great shops and bars and like architecture. Uh, it's got decent enough transport. And so, you know, it's not, it's a place that doesn't feel like it should be in trouble. So I kind of wonder if that's just like, it was just starting in a better position. It's more about like the capital of culture thing maybe worked because you could just, well, it just reminded everyone that it was here. Well, I think, that, yeah, I mean, that was basically the thing when we were sitting in the meetings with, because I was working for one of the, as they were termed, the big eight, I think they're the big 10 now, um, at that year. So I was sitting in all those kind of like strategy meetings and it wasn't designed to talk to people in Liverpool because you knew people in Liverpool got the culture. Liverpool Biennial had already been running since 2000. The objective one money had already come into play, so a lot of that conversation had already been had with people in the city. But what it was was about getting people to get on the train and come up, and basically London saying, it's ridiculous, it's two hours away, it's ridiculous that you don't come up here for a weekend. And that was the main strategy to do it. And it was weird that it was about creating a series of moments Kind of before social media. I mean, before Instagram, the city was designing these, like, you know, Ringo Starr's going to be on a roof playing the drums. 
which is just a stupid thing to do. <laughs> but that's just kind of what Liverpool does culturally. It, it kind of created those sort of set pieces. The problem is now is that everywhere kind of creates set pieces because everyone wants to have that Instagram moment. So it's how you keep developing that and keep changing it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, just breaking off from the from that conversation to uh, have the latest instalment of our news segment, Ask the Expert, in the form of Andrew Carter, Chief Executive of the Centre for Cities. Hello, Andrew, how are you? Hello, very well. How are you doing, John? I'm good. Here's a big question for you. I'm kind of interested in your take on. We talk a lot, you know, both on in this on this podcast and on City Metric and indeed in, you know, the research you guys put out about, you know, the North-South divide, for want of a better term, but a big economic divide down the centre of... England particularly, is it fixable? Is it something that the government could actually do something about? Or is it just, you know, this is what the world is going to look like now until some other industrial revolution comes along and changes it? <laughs> yes, no, so, again, you know, very big question. I think it's, a, it's an issue that we can do something about. Whether we can fix it in the way that some uh, seem to think, where essentially, you know, all parts of the, you know, of the country are equally prosperous or you know, perform equally uh, equally well, I'm less clear about. But I think it is certainly something that with considered effort that will take a, a long time. But if the commitment uh, is there, we can do something, we can do something about it. And we could certainly make more of our places outside of the south of the greater southeast more productive to, you know, to, to, ha- to have higher skilled, higher waged, better jobs that um, improve standards of living in those sorts of places that we're worried about. So I think there are things that we can do. I don't think we'll ever have, you know, the equality that we've got, in part because the UK is somewhat unique compared to other places and that London is, A, a very big city, which in itself is, you know, not every other country has very big cities, primate cities, as we would call them uh, in the jargon, but also because of its global Context, it is a very prosperous place. So, you know, in a sense, we're not going to equalize the north to the south because of 
London, but we could certainly make the Midlands and the North most prosperous if we commit to, I think, fairly uh, significant changes in the way that the government, the, the country is run, much more devolving of powers and responsibilities, particularly, but not exclusively, to our city regions. Give them the powers, at the very least, that London has. Probably give them more of the powers that Scotland and Wales have to Greater Manchester, to Greater Leeds, to Greater Sheffield, to, to Greater Birmingham, the West Midlands. I think there's a kind of constitutional response uh, and question. And then I think that, you know, on the back of that, they, you know, giving them more autonomy, more responsibility over those kind of policy issues that matter, that we know matter around transport, around skills, particularly, very particularly around skills, some around business support. I think you can see over time how those places can become more prosperous. Now, London will become more prosperous as well, but those places for certain can become more prosperous over time. I mean, like England is not unique in having a divided economy. A few months ago on this podcast, I spoke to some of your, your colleagues um, about the, the there's a north-south divide in Italy. It's the, it's the other way up. The north yeah. is the rich bit. But nonetheless, that is also a very divided economy. The US, there is a big gap between, you know, New York and San Francisco and Boston and Washington on one side and, you know, much of the sort of inner heartlands on the other. Why is it so, you know, particularly given that England is such a small country geographically, like why, why is there such a, how do we end up with this chasm and how do they end up feeling like such a sort of core part of national debate? Really? Yeah, no, well, and I think in part it's because in, I know you've talked about this and, and written about this before, and others have as well. It's because, in a sense, London be, has several different meanings depending on how you're thinking about it. And the, the dominance of London is not is seen not just economically, which it is. You know, let's be you know, for example, thirty you percent, know, at least thirty percent of the of the nationals' tax revenues are generated by Greater London. Mm. You know, that's a massive contribution that one part of the you know, of the country makes to the to the overall exchequer. You know, it's about a quarter of the economy, however you define it. So, you know, it's a big place in a small country and it makes a significant contribution. But I think it's more than that. You know, we see this in the, you know, the, in the, the, the Brexit uh, vote and indeed the implications that result from it. London increasingly is felt by others to be somewhat different. And so the angst and, you know, the concerns about the dominance of London economically also then flow into questions about cultural dominance, political dominance, social dominance. And I think all of those things get wrapped up, which is why, mm. you know, we do have an obsession uh, and a focus on this inequality. Now, it's interesting the point you make about London can mean different things because it's not, in the way it's, it appears in the national debate, it doesn't just mean the city, it doesn't just mean Greater London, it can mean the political establishment, it can mean the civil service, it can mean the government, it can mean uh, the southeast more generally, it can on some occasions mean the Conservative Party, yeah. even though London is increasingly not a Conservative city. Yeah. Um, so it often feels like when we have these conversations we're slightly talking at cross purposes. But I guess it, it does sort of mean that like people sort of rage against against the North-South divide because they're unhappy with the government rather than with the South or London generally. Yeah, and I think, you know, they think that, and, and they think, and, you know, there's a degree of truth in this, they think that national government, because it's based in London, because it's primarily staffed by people who live in and around London or, you know, in the, in the, the home counties, make decisions that preference London over 
other places. You know, and you see the debate around some of the, the numbers used to, to uh, indicate transport investment, for example, you know, showing that London gets more. And we can debate the, you know, the merits of that sort of debate. But, you know, there's a sense that London is preferenced by national government and actually, therefore, these places are not, you know, are not preferenced in the same way. The, the additional element, again, interestingly, unlike other places that we just talked about, I think it's worsened by actually when we look outside some of our bigger cities are not yet performing the role in the national economy that big cities perform in other places. Now, if you go to Germany or you go to America or if you go to even small places like Netherlands or France even, you know, their biggest cities typically are above the national average on a whole range of economic measures. In many respects, our big cities are not doing that yet in the UK. You know, Manchester, Leeds is about a national average or just, just slightly above Bristol is. But Birmingham and Manchester, two big places, you know, you're talking, what, five and a half million, nearly six million people, you know, living and working in these places. You know, they are at or just below the national average. That's, we need to deal with that issue. And so, you know, providing them with more powers, responsibilities and autonomy around the policies that matter, transport, planning, skills, housing. You know, that's one of the ways that we can get those places firing, performing more strongly they themselves will have a you know kind of drag up effect and then we can deal with some of the other questions and issues as well so you know we're unique in, in a kind of bunch of different ways which i think why gives us you know an emphasis on this north south or regional inequality question which plays out differently in other places why is it that our big cities are not performing like this is this is weird right it is weird that the second city of England, whichever one you want to give the title to, um, is, is, is not one of the sort of economic powerhouses of the country yet. Most countries don't work like that. Do we have any sense of how that happened or why that happened? We looked at some of the work uh, and looked at sort of economic change over a hundred year period, you know, which we've talked about, uh, you know, before. And if you think about, you know, places like Manchester and places like, uh, and Birmingham, they were centres of production particularly industrial production, but not exclusively production. And of course, over the, the 20th century, these places, you know, a lot of those jobs, well, you know, over half a million jobs lost in industry in Manchester between 1911 and 2016. You know, that's a huge, you know, job creating uh, effect that they've had. Now, part of the challenge for them has been to replace those jobs. And you know, whilst they've been able to do that, it's only in 2016 that they now have more jobs today than they did a hundred years ago. That's right? crazy. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, thinking about that kind of job generating challenges, it's just enormous. You know, these, these cities have gone through quite large structural changes in, in a context where, you know, for a great number of time, we just basically, you know, we, we often wrote these places off. You know, we wrote Manchester off. We're, Liverpool, you know, government publications of the day and notes of the day in the 70s and 80s said basically, you know, this is managed decline. You know, the, the, these sorts of big cities have had their time. So policy wasn't orientated or focused to them. It's only really city-focused policy in the last 10 or maybe 15 years at max. This will take a while to play out. This will take a while to play out. But I still find myself wondering, sorry, this is turning into not no. that short a segment now, but I find myself wondering why in other countries cities went through these transitions and managed to move from manufacturing to services, especially what we're talking about. London moved from manufacturing to services. It, it just feels like it's not obvious to me why Manchester, for example, didn't do the same very easily. I'm just kind of wondering... No, I think, well, I, I, as you say, I think that's right. 
I think you know there was an element where um, manufacturing jobs uh, were held on to in many of these places for as long as they possibly could. That was still regarded as the the future. I think you know thinking about the, the manufacturing of the nation. I think a lot of these places became sites for uh, alternative, even in the service industry, alternative jobs, but were still relatively low skilled and low paid. You know, if you think about what happened in London, you know, London lost. You know, hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs, but even a hundred years ago, it had a kernel of, or more than a kernel of, you know, knowledge-intensive activity, mm. which it then built on and expanded and grew. You know, and, be- and so success begets success in these kind of places. And as the economy turns, they're better advantage to, you know, to take advantage or the better place to take advantage of these sorts of opportunities. I think it just it takes a while for these places, you know, to go through that cycle. So, so is the point that like London did have a manufacturing base that we sometimes forget now, but it also was always, it was a port city. It had services to kind of service that port. Is it that it always had that kind of diversification in some of these other places? It did. It had a more diverse economy. You know, it wasn't just a site of production of goods, you know, things. It was a site of production of ideas and innovation, which is historical. And that pl- allowed it to be in a better position than it was. But, you know, my, my, my other thought would be, and you hear this even relatively recently, but certainly, you know, there was a time where we thought of the North and Midlands as being places of manufacturing, of production, of, you know, hard jobs done by, you know, predominantly done by men. That was the future. That was how we thought about them. And you can see that even today. You know, 70% of the regional growth fund allocation into the North and Midlands, when did the manufacturing activity? Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but half of the, of the investment we make in innovation goes into the greater southeast. You know, so, you know, there's a sort of thinking about how mm. we think about the north and its future and how we think about the south. Someone said the future of uh, London is manufacturing, right? We would laugh. I would laugh. I hope you would laugh. But you still hear that as being the future of places in the Midlands and the north. Mm. I'm just not convinced of that. I think there is, you know, there, there'll always be a role for manufacturing and high-end production in these sorts of places. But that's not the future. And I think it's it's only relatively recently that the leadership in these places um, has seen that and, you know, are now doing the things that are needed in order to adapt their places to the economy of the 21st century, not the economy of the 19th century. Well, this is a big topic. It's one I'm sure we'll come back to. Uh, in the meantime, if someone wants to get in contact with a question for you to answer on this on, on this segment, how can they how can they contact you? Well, you can get me on Twitter uh, at my uh, handle is at Andrew Cities, or obviously uh, get in touch with John, and I'm sure he will uh, pick up the most difficult questions and uh, ask me to try and answer them. I look forward to that. Excellent. I want to move the conversation on a little bit and ask a slightly left field question, which is, uh, is Liverpool in the north? Because it feels like a, it feels to me like it sits slightly outside that kind of wider northern identity in some way. But I can never work out why. And if that's just me being me. I mean, <laughs> geographically, it's actually further south than you think as well, isn't it? And I think it has got that. And, you know, there's all the stuff that, that Law was saying before. Well, what both of you were saying before about, about the connections, kind of Wales and stuff. It's... I think it's in the it's in the north in in some ways in 
and and not in us. There does seem to be a different mindset the way the further kind of west you go, and I think and I think that's a kind of I don't know, Liverpool feels more maybe a more emotional city, and I think that's something that's kind of a bit kind of misunderstood sometimes. Where I mean, I've got friends in Manchester and, f- and friends in Leeds, and you know, when from a football point of view, say, oh, you all want to calm down a bit, you know, because because something bad might happen, and you're like, listen, honestly, we don't worry about that at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't worry about you know worry less about about looking silly if it goes wrong or things like that. And I think that there is a kind of a more a kind of a cautiousness across across the rest of the north and a, a, a kind of a thing of a, you know you need to look not necessarily cool but kind of you know composed and and, and this kind of idea of you know don't, not getting carried away and I think I think that, you know I mean maybe, maybe kind of Newcastle is a little bit different but I say certainly Lancashire and Yorkshire there's a desire not to get carried away whereas in Liverpool I mean we'll get yeah, carried we have away zero chill. we'll get we'll get we carried we'll get carried away the drop of a hat yeah we love getting carried away uh, <laughs> it's happened to me now to be honest with you. Uh, there is. There is something I think that I, I think that Liverpool and its relationship to the North is is absolutely fascinating. In that I think I think you sort of end up because of all the sort of you, you, you know if you do the list of of, of, the, of the almost the cultural hanger ha, sort of tags and you probably end up with Liverpool in balance. Yeah, you 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 put it in that northern little bracket there. You do do that, but there is loads of bits where it is sort of it is. In opposition is the wrong way to phrase it. I think that there's, you know, but I do think that the further the further east you go, the further you go along that M62, you know, for instance, I think it's it's easier to list things we've got in common with Manchester possibly than it is to list things we've got in common as you go right the way along the corridor. I think they do begin to drop off to a certain extent, and and some of them, and, and then others come into play. So I'm I'm fascinated by. It. I think it's a really good question. I think it's. I don't think it's got an easy answer. But just on the most basic level, like I think there is more of a difference between the. Liverpool accent than the Manchester one than there is between the Manchester one and like the whole one. I think yeah. that like yeah. the, the the Mancunian and the, and the Yorkshire accents are like quite similar. Whereas you the try and do impression of one and you'll break into the other. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 as, I as a southerner, I can't tell the difference. Like genuinely, and the number of people I've met where I've kind of guessed and got the wrong one. Whereas I would never have difficulty working out someone's from Liverpool. So <laughs> until they tell you they're from Wirral, and then everything <laughs> yeah, goes thank off. you very much. But it's the thing of like it's it's the weather as well. So I think one of the reasons that sometimes we yeah, don't. Northern is that it never snows here, so we get snow like once every ten years, and there'll be like feet of snow across the north of England, and we'll be in sunshine with a scarf on because we have this weird protect. We're in a maritime climate. Yeah, we're in a bay, so we've got the Welsh hills protecting us from one side. We've got the bottom of the Pennines on the other, and the Lancashire hills. So we're really protected from bad weather. So we, I think, having our own climate, yeah, makes us feel quite separate as well because we are a bit. Windy but temperate. Well, one of my favourite things to tell Eddie, sort of Lancastrian, is that uh, Lancashire cricket team won the won the uh, Division One title the, the year they played in Liverpool, and that was because Old Trafford was closed. And but they won it because it didn't rain. And so Lanc- Lancashire as a cricket team lose so many days a year just just to bad weather that that they can never you know they draw too many games. Whereas they, they moved to Liverpool for a year and and, and, and won the title and, and with a not particularly good team either. But that, that's quite good fun to, to kind of make make fun out of Lancastrian also. But also it does just show that you know we are we are kind lucky with the weather here as well we don't get the kind of extremes we don't get as much rain in Manchester and as you say we don't get these these kind of you know big big bouts of, bouts of snow you know I mean it's it's still it's still cold most of the year don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not kind of trying to point out that it's Malta or anything but you know, <laughs> but, uh, but but we are quite fortunate what about um what does Liverpool need like I mean to like like if there was a sort of wish list what would you like to, this, to happen in the city to kind of like move things forward people as you said it before and I think it's a really valid point I think it's you know I, th- I, I think it needs to be engaged with better and 
possibly engage better with in inverted massively in inverted commas its enemies i think it needs i think it needs to i think there's a big problem that basically the conservative party has completely given up on liverpool and if the conservative party is going to be let's be optimistic and say 50% of the time the ruling party of government i think it's a it's a problem that they come 6th and 7th in mayoral elections in liverpool and they show no sign and no desire to change that in any substantial way. They do not, they don't care. They don't want to put the time, the money, the resources, the brain power into thinking, how do we do that differently? And I think that, and there's not much that we can do about that, I don't think, but I think that that is a bit of a problem, that there is this sort of, in many ways, people being able to shrug their shoulders and go, that's Liverpool, innit? That's somebody else's problem. Yeah, uh, or they're just mad. You know, because that and that is a problem. I think that that is a problem, and that's something that we need. To, I'd love to see change, sort of in a nationwide sense. Is that people shouldn't be able to just shrug their shoulders and go to Liverpool and they're mad. They should instead go. Maybe they're getting things right, or maybe they've got at least a really valid point of view. You know, the the response to the to the momentum thing around the sun from people who insane, should who yeah. should just be perfectly reasonable and be able to think outside of their own brains for five minutes. Was 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 staggering to be quite honest with you. It was absolutely staggering, and you get one of them. I mean, you know, you get one of them about every time you people come for this thing, but you get one of them about every, you know, you get one of them about every six months where you just yeah. sort of go and I don't understand why you can't for five minutes think from some from that city's point of view about X. Why can't you do that? And that isn't, and that doesn't just cross itself on party political lines either. You know, there's there's, there's people who, who would put themselves in a pretty left wing bracket. Who I think you can occasionally, every now and again, there'll just be this moment, and you'll go, "Oh, come on, this isn't difficult." Yeah, I thought that was ridiculous the way that. In, sorry, to be, um, we should probably give context for anyone who's missed it, but um, the sun is not being allowed at the World Transformed Momentum's par- conference in parallel to the Labour conference. Uh, as a reflection in large part of like the fact that the sun has been sort of half banned from Liverpool for decades the, now. The sun is not on anyone's press list yeah. in the city. I mean, you, you don't but, send press releases to them. It's just, you don't. Yeah. But it instantly so became, like, discussed as a story about how, like, momentum were against free speech rather than, like, no one was like, well, why is this major national newspaper, like, so off the agenda in a major English city? Nobody kind of considered that. And... Also, just from a purely personal point of view, I don't really understand why journalists are kind of sticking their neck out to defend the sun because no. the sun would not stick its neck out for them. No, yeah, that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's a really valid point. But I think the, that... the sun would kill you just to watch you die. But that's a whole different thing. <laughs> but there's that, there's that. But I think yes. Yeah, so I think that that ongoing is is a thing we need more. But more, I, I think more people and for businesses to move here and for different types of businesses to move here. I don't think I don't think it's in Liverpool's interests to end up trying to be part of a sector. I think Channel 4 would have been brilliant, but there's reasons why Channel 4 haven't happened and Laura will speak far better about that than I would. But there are, you know, loads of internal issues around that and around Liverpool's strange local government and all that sort of thing. But genuinely, you know, if people are listening to this and they're thinking about relocating a business, you could just do so, so, so much worse than... than, than, than You can live so well here. You can live so well here, you know, the, the property prices... Um, you know, and all in all of this, let's not pretend there's not areas of Liverpool that are unbelievably deprived still, because there very much are, and it's important to, to to tag them and mention them within all of this. But th- that's part of all of that is the the next steps of ongoing either generation or regeneration. I don't think it needs to necessarily be called. There's areas of Liverpool that need to be regenerated, but Liverpool itself needs to generate constantly rather than have this idea that there has to be a program of regeneration uh, now. But I think that's part of all of that. I'd love to see. You know, I'd love the news that. 
you know, across the course. Forget the, the tourism stuff's great, and the nighttime economy is so important. But you know, the idea that Liverpool found a way to, to 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 pull in three or four quite substantial businesses that led to a number of people relocating would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think the huge government development that's happening on Water Street is going to be a big pull for that. Yeah, um, it's it's not HMRC, isn't it? It's HM government. I can't remember what department it is, um, but it's a Home Office thing, and I think that's going to be really that's going to be really really big. I think. Regeneration-wise, I completely understand why the Objective 1 focus was on the city centre, because the city centre was a whole. And the city we grew up in was very, very different. I mean, that like, you know, that last shot of uh, the boys in the black stuff when you see the Albert Dock and it's all like filled in, that's what it looked like when we were kids. Mm. And it was, very, it was a very, very different place. You didn't come to the city centre as much as you would now. But the problem is, is that infrastructure in the city has completely replicated that idea. So to get to... Um, if I'm getting to Anfield or if I'm getting to Norris Green and I live in Wavertree, I have to get into the city centre to get out again. Whereas actually it's only a sort of 15 minute journey across the city. And improving that infrastructure from village to village would make a, a lot more sense because that would improve much more of a, a city identity. So that's one thing it needs. The other thing it needs is a design review panel so that when new buildings are proposed in the city, they go across a... Instead of going to the planning committee first, they go to a design review panel that decide whether it's nice or not. Yeah, I think, look, there's lots that can be done kind of nationally, I think, and I think from a government point of view, and I think, you know, it's great that, that the Corbyn, I think, has focused so much on on training trains in the north because I think it, that's something that's massively been neglected. Okay, we can get to London a lot quicker, and that's great, but why is it so hard to get to Leeds? Why is it so hard to get to Sheffield? It's so hard to get to Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and and, and on, on just the worst trains that you can imagine as well. And so, and so that that that's something that I'd love to be focused on. But in terms of looking internally and what what can we do, I think our messages could be braver. I think we could be. We could think bigger a little bit. I think Liverpool's kind of lost its ambition in, in some senses from a city point of view. And it's also that the message is kind of a little bit mixed. We've, we've ended up in this weird situation where we've got three mayors um, and, and that's kind of a, bit, a little bit odd. And, of course, you know, one of them's just civic and just, you know, opens things and stuff like that. But, you know, it's still a bit of a strange thing. And before you get into a discussion about the quality of those people, um, you know, just generally the fact that there's three of them just kind of seems a bit daft. I didn't realise there were three. So you've got um, Joe Anderson, the elected yeah. mayor of Liverpool City Council. Yeah. You've got Steve Rotherham is the metro mayor yeah. for Liverpool and, and five other effectively suburban boroughs. Yeah. Who's the third? Is well, there's, a, there's a kind of a lord civic mayor. mayor. A lord mayor, right, yeah. Okay. So, so someone who, you know, who, who, who maybe mainly just appear at things and, and, and look good and, ha- and, have a, and have some bling. But, um, but yeah, but it, I think it just it still does kind of get a bit confusing for people. And obviously, you know, Joe Anderson is, is still quite often the people people will go to for a quote because he's he's so willing to kind of speak out and things. And, and you know, I think that... Well, that, so he has the better job title. He's mayor of Liverpool as yeah. opposed to the mayor of the Liverpool city region, which, like, you kind of need half a dozen footnotes to explain <laughs> what that is. Like, mayor of Liverpool, you can just instantly understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but now, as, as I understand it, like, the, there was sort of an assumption that he would move aside and it would go back to a kind of council and leader system. But no one told him. Uh, well, I, I, th- <laughs> I think he wanted uh, Rotherham's old seat, which is Liverpool Walton, possibly, um, but, but then didn't get it, so he refused to go anywhere um but that might not be true anyway. <laughs> um there's one other thing just on quickly on what laura said we always end up talking about trains but it is worth mentioning buses uh to a friend of mine steve uh said this this weekend and it's absolutely spot on that 
Kensington in London, you can get a bus for £1.50. Uh, it's Kensington in London. Kensington in Liverpool, it's £2.20. And, and, Ke- and the Kensington in Liverpool is it's not nearly as nice as the Kensington. Like, it's, it's a much more deprived area. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's 2.40 yeah. now, is it? 2.30. 2.30 now. flat fare across the city. And so, you know, this is, you know, an ongoing thing there. Just literally how buses work in Liverpool, and I think that's part of what Laura's driving at, you know, but also how much they cost is absolutely wild. And we always end up talking about trains, and there's loads of reasons why we all end up talking about trains, but actually... You know, more buses and buses being cheaper would be would be no bad thing. We should probably be wrapping up, but just before we do, do you guys want to say a couple of words about the Anfield Wrap and what it is you guys do exactly? Oh God, um, we uh, with the Anfield Wrap and we produce podcasts. Uh, we do video and we do writing. Uh, the core of what we what you can call our business uh, in terms of what makes money so uh, currently is podcasts. We we do two of them that are free on a weekly basis. We do one of them about music, which is called The Rider, and we do two uh, which are predominantly about football and about Liverpool Football Club. And then we do about another somewhere between 12 and 14 shows that go behind a paywall, and we charge £5 a month for them. Um, we've got some partners of people who we work with, companies we work with, and companies who we mention. And the 12 to 14 shows don't just talk incessantly about Liverpool's most recent football match. We'd like to think that we manage to reflect aspects of... of a slightly younger Liverpool culture than one that, that gets reflected in a lot of places. I always have to be careful about this. I was on a panel with Laura when I first met her, and I, one of the things that I sort of pointed out was that everyone on the panel was that I think at that stage I think it was over thirty-four. So I think you've got to be careful. But we do very much want to reflect Liverpool culture post oh eight, post lots and lots of different things. Um, we'd like to think that we do that, uh, and we'd like to think that people come for the football, but they stay for the jokes. I think it's it's worth adding to all that that. Um, the Anfield Wrap started as something that was a hobby and is now a, a thriving business in Liverpool, a new media business that pay that um, employs t- 10 people, soon to be 11 full-time, and a lot of our contributors are paid as well. We're in our own studio that we've built in an office right in the heart of the Liverpool, and I think that in itself I think is an interesting story, away from the fact that we, that we talk about football, the fact that um, I don't think there's many podcasts uh, in this country, if not the world, who have successfully built a subscription model that is, is to a, to an extent that there's ten now it seems to be eleven people working full time on it, and so that should have your interest, even if Liverpool Football Club doesn't. Well, thank you very much for letting us use your studio, and thanks for coming on. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and produced by me, John Elledge. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do consider leaving us an iTunes review. It really helps other people to discover the show. And, you know, the more people get listening to the show, the sooner I can achieve my real goal of world domination for the medium of trains. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.